It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in. Multiple ways you can interact with us, of course, here on the program. Option number one, give us a ring at 973-667-1960. Option number two, you can head to social media, use hashtag GiantsChat. You can also follow and interact with the two of us directly. I am at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at GiantsWFAN. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll tackle a number of topics over the course of the next 60 minutes. The Senior Bowl is underway. Today will be the first practice, so we'll get into some of the prospects, some of the themes and storylines, obviously, to monitor and so forth leading up to the game on Saturday. And we'll also discuss some of the latest NFL news. Paul, how's everything on your end? Good morning, Lance. Uh, Things are not bad at all. I mean, I guess we're expecting some inclement weather here in the Northeast over the next afternoon, but they've already got some down by the Senior Bowl, so that will impact uh, some of what they're going to do. And, of course, being that this is going to be the premier showcase for the prospects during this offseason, that's uh, rather disappointing for them, I'm sure. Well, I think the biggest challenge for this year's Senior Bowl, maybe in comparison to the previous years, is the fact that you've got a combination of a variety of factors. Number one, you have prospects that are going to take part in this game who sat out all of 2020, Paul, meaning they didn't play one game because they decided to opt out. So Mm -hmm. you really don't have any film unless you go back to 2019. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is limited representatives from each NFL team are allowed at this, And you're not going to have an opportunity to go campus to campus like you normally did in previous off-seasons. So you've got to try to maximize, I'm talking about it from the NFL front office perspective, every time you're near or around a prospect to try to grab as much information so that you can bring that to the table once you ultimately decide who you're going to draft. So I think that's some extra layers maybe that are on the forefront or on the inner working side in this year's Senior Bowl compared to maybe previous years? No, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And I think the other thing we have to keep in mind here, too, is that, you know, every team usually sends, oh, golly. I know it's not unusual to have as many as as 8 to 10 assistant coaches plus medical people who will, uh, you know, want to go to something like this. And that's not just Combine. Now, Combine, you get all the scouts there. But even at the Senior Bowl, and and John knows this from being there the last few years, you know, you will see the GM, the assistant GM, the director of college scouting, the head coach, maybe the offensive and defensive coordinator, maybe even a couple more assistant coaches. Well, obviously, the space and the attendance, uh, you know, checklists are going to be limited even at this event because of the pandemic situation. So, I mean, I I believe it was Dan Salamone who on Giants.com wrote a preview article this past week saying, you know, Jim Nagy, who is the director of the Senior Bowl, uh, was importing tons and tons of hockey plexiglass because they were (laughs) going to have to put these things up as the team personnel wanted to talk to the prospects. I mean, 
there's just there are so many things that you have to take into account this year that makes this a uh, a different and potentially more difficult kind of thing to do. Well, I think you bring up a great point. What I'll add to that, Paul, is I was reading over the last few days, forget the structure of how they're, to your point, practicing social distancing at the facility where they're going to be holding the game. The process of getting all the prospects to Mobile, Alabama was something. I mean, in terms of making sure that they get tested accordingly, they then have to bring a slip that shows that they tested negative. I mean, it is quite the undertaking. I can only imagine what Jim Nagy had to go through. Yeah. On top of obviously selecting all the prospects, plus his job was even more challenging this year because, as I mentioned, the number of guys opted out, so you don't have nearly as much film. But then to go through the logistics of simply having this game being played because I'm sure there must have been a point where September, October was rolling around and, you know, Nagy probably was asking himself, are we going to have a senior bowl? Are we even going to be able to have this event take off like it normally does? I'm sure there had to have been a point maybe in the summer and then the more and more you get closer to where we are now, realizing, okay, as long as we have testing in place and we social distance, that we'll be able to have this event. I think the fact that they're even having this event is quite the accomplishment, considering the combine is not going to resemble anything near what it was like over the last few years. Yes. Well, as stated before, this is going to be the premier offseason event for the prospects. Sure. Jim Nagy had a conversation with John for the uh, Giants huddle this past week. So, folks... I know the, the uh, Senior Bowl week of practices starts today, but if you wanted to go back and listen to that, you know, Nagy will go over a lot of stuff with John that, uh, you know, you can partake in if it's of interest to you. I will tell you this, you know, there are certainly a lot of big names that are not going to be there this week. And, you know, when you're the Giants at number 11, uh, most of the top 10 guys are, are, are not going to be around. So, I don't know if that's going to help them or hurt them in terms of their draft status, but uh, I just throw that out there because we do know at this point at least the Giants are going to be picking 11th. Well, Devontae Smith, the wide receiver out of Alabama, the Heisman Trophy winner, is taking part, which is kind of unique and rare. Normally you don't have the Heisman Trophy winner in the Senior Bowl, but he is limited because of the finger injury. So he's going to have a presence there, but he's not going to take part in the individual drills. And they were revealing a lot of the measurements this morning across social media. Devontae Smith chose not to take part in the measurements because there's clearly a lot of speculation. Is he 170? Is he under 170 or whatever it may be? And you know, Paul, everybody's going to read into that for the next three or four weeks. And we're going to have to speculate and people are going to talk about he's going to drop to 13th as a result and other people are going to have him no, on no. the board. He's going to move Lance, up to you know seven. what he's going to do? He's going to go back to the set of the old Monsters TV show and lie down on Grandpa's rack and stretch himself out a couple of inches. Yeah, apparently. Maybe that's what he's been working on. But, you know, this is where it's overkill a little bit, and I'm sure he's got his team of advisors and agents guiding him through this process. Remember, there's always rationale as to why a player doesn't take part in drills at the combine. There's always some thought put into why they don't do certain things at the Senior Bowl. So that's going to be another element in play. Did the player get measured? Did he not get measured? I'm also keeping eyes on, as we go through some of the storylines here, some of the pass rushers, the defensive linemen. I think there are a few that are interesting. I mean, one guy that I'll throw out, Carlos Basham, the edge rusher out of Wake Forest. Now, he's somebody whose numbers certainly jump off the page, 
and the consistency of his numbers, you know, that's a guy I think is going to be interested to see what he does and whether or not his stock increases. Another guy is Patrick Jones, the second defensive lineman out of Pittsburgh, who's been considered one of the top pass rushers in the ACC over the last two seasons, and he's got really good size and power. So, you know, those are two guys I'm just going to throw out. Listen, there's only so much you can take away from the Senior Bowl, and there's some teams also that's important to mention, the Giants included, who, you know, they put a lot of stockpile in Senior Bowl players. The Rams, for example, that's a team, you look at their draft history, Rams have taken a lot of players who have taken part in the Senior Bowl, and the Giants, too, have selected a few players, and part of that is because you figure, right, a kid in the Senior Bowl has had a number of years of film They have been in college for a few extra seasons than most. So, you know, that's something that certain teams weigh. And then there's other teams that say, I'm not going to get caught up in what happens over the course of a few days at one event. Well, one of the things that I do like about what you're going to get at the week of the Senior Bowl, you've got the NFL coaches, obviously, and, and we'll get into that, I guess, in a second, the staffs that actually wound up accepting the invitation to go to the game. But the point is... These guys are getting coached by NFL coaches for the week, and your GMs and your scouts are there, and they're watching very intently, not just about, okay, how does the guy look in terms of his talents and his skills, but what's his demeanor? How well is he listening? When, 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 you know, after he does a drill, he doesn't do it right, and we saw that, you know, the offensive line coach went over to him and said, hey, do this. Well, what did he do the second time? Did he fix it or did he like kind of loaf and was he looking at the sky and not paying attention and then made the same mistake a second time in a row? These are little things that you're not going to be able to pick up, you know, if you're not there able to see how these guys are actually being coached and what is their attitude and what is their demeanor in a in a live coaching situation. And and I I think that's part of the reason why some people you know, do put a little more value in the senior ball week than some others. Because that, to me, is important in picking up on the character and work ethic of a player, which you don't necessarily see in a game. You want to know what the player is going to be doing Monday through Friday, assuming you play on a Sunday, as opposed to just what he's going to do on Sunday. So, you know, that gives you at least a glimpse. Now, to your point, you have the Dolphins and the Panthers coaching staffs. Those are the two staffs that are coaching the national team and the American team. So they're going to have some additional exposure to these players compared to most. That's Matt Rule's staff, of course, with Carolina, Brian Flores with Miami. Does it give them a leg up? Does it give them an advantage? Perhaps, because they're going to be coaching them and going through the drills with them. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be representatives from other teams, as we discussed earlier, who are going to have access to observe the practices and so forth. But I do think there is something to be said in meeting rooms, on the practice field, you've got a little up close and personal exposure. You know, that may give you some extra intel that you could bring to your front office throughout mm-hmm. the course of the draft process. Sure, sure. And of course, because the combine is not going to be what it's supposed to be this year, there's also that opportunity, and we all know that teams will find ways to make sure they get a little bit of one on one time with these guys. Somehow, some way, even with the protocols. If it means you're going to be at the train station or you're going to be at the airport or even if you're going to be at the cafe down the street, somehow, some way, these teams who really want to, to, to get a, another up-close look at a guy, even if they can only get five minutes of a conversation with him, 
their guys will probably try to find a way to make that happen. And again, that may be the only additional intel they're going to be able to get over the next five months. Based on what they went through last year, even though there was a senior bowl and there was a combine, but then after that, pretty much everything was limited. At least most front offices had experience of what it takes to go through good detective work, I guess is what I'm getting at, Paul, and maybe finding other ways to collect information, to your point, on players. You just you got to be creative, and, and you have to work the phones and the connections that you've developed over the course of the last few years because sometimes if you could speak to a trainer of a college football team and you know get a little bit more information on somebody who went through an injury maybe that could help you when you're trying to determine the difference between one player versus the other if you have a good relationship with members of a specific coaching staff that could go a long way case in point if you recall Paul leading up to the draft and then even after that we talked about Joe Judge and the bulk of the coaching staff, because a lot of these guys were not that far removed from their right. college coaching careers, right. knowing Kirby Smart at Georgia, knowing Nick Saban, and then you look at, obviously, them taking Andrew Thomas in the first round, and I'm sure the information they collect. Lance, I think we lost you. You I can't w- hear me now? Can no, you now we're You're back. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know why I may have dipped out on your end, but I am alive and well. I can okay. tell you that. And I was talking to myself, at least, or perhaps certain listeners that were hearing Don't me. Don't worry about it. I do that a lot. Yes, we all have a talent <laughs> in that department. I can tell you from a... Oh, I believe you're gone again. Why this I'm jumping around. I hear you crystal clear, Paul. So this is very interesting okay. in terms of what is transpiring. Well, most people can hear me across the country. That's not exactly a unique situation. Well, I don't know if that's a good thing if they could hear you. That's to be debated. Well, now I know you could hear me because you laughed and you yes, chuckled at that. Yes, so I, I know can. we're on the same page. But I guess the point I was making, Paul, was the information that Giants coaching staff members collected last year and how they right. had to go through the process. I think that could be advantageous going into this year again. Yeah, I mean, uh, sure. Th- there's no question. And, and let's face it, you know, uh, these guys on the Giants staff, and even though, you know, uh, like a guy like Brett Bielema, who obviously had tremendous uh, NCAA connections, even though he's not here anymore. Look, that doesn't mean that, you know, Joe Judge or somebody from the Giants can't call him. And just because he he took a job back in the college ranks, that doesn't mean they can't call him back and say, hey, Brett, you know, did you you have any contact with that guy or did you know that player? He could still be a resource. It's not like, you know, they, they can't go back and utilize somebody like that to try to get more intel if, if they need to. 100%. Once again, you've got to work all of your possible connections. That's the way that I look at the structure Especially of this now. offseason. Yeah, no doubt about it. You have to be able to tap into your resources both on the college level and on the NFL level as well as anyone you may know that could very well be at the Senior Bowl. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is presented by New York Lottery, the new X-Series of scratch-offs for the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. You can give us a ring at 973-667-1960. You could also chime in on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. So let's open up the phone lines as we get further in to the Senior Bowl, the comings and goings. Joe is in Pennsylvania. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Joe? 
Hi, guys. Uh, just looking at these playoffs there, boy, you can't help but notice, like, uh, Paul always like size to size. Green Bay all has big receivers. Then you look at Kansas City, all kind of speed and a big tight end, you know. It, it, it's it's hard not to get a little jealous there looking at that stuff. Uh, my question to use last week as we were talking, John, and that, you know, we have the two big defensive linemen that their contracts are up, uh, Williams and uh, Tomlinson. And John said, well, uh, last week, too, that definitely, you know, uh, Leonard Williams will be very hard. You ain't going to be able to replace him. So I really want to sign him. But my question is Tomlinson, how important he is to be replaced. But I'm looking at our offensive line, who we can depend on, who's going to be there, and for sure Gates and then Thomas, you know, on the end will be there. But we have Zeitler up for a contract this year. Is what I'm looking at, he's the, to me the most, uh, the next dependable guy. But would would, would he be more important than Tomlinson at the sign this year uh, to the team? That's what I, my question is to you guys. Well, first of all, Zeitler's not up for a contract; he's under contract. Well, Correct. yeah, I know, but he could be released, and we could use that money to sign Tomlinson. This is where I'm getting at. Well, if you're asking me my personal opinion, if you get rid of Zeitler, okay, then you're talking about Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez. Hernandez fell out of the rotation once he returned from COVID. So, you know, you can read into that all you want. I think it remains to be seen what the coaching staff thinks of him moving forward. And Lemieux was just a rookie. So if you feel comfortable, Joe... Going into next season, and granted, they could draft another guard or bring in another guard. I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, but I would think on paper, based on that, I'd feel a lot more comfortable still having Zeitler in play if those are your two options. Well, that, that, that's, that's, that's the way I feel. I think he was the third most important person dependable on our offensive line there, and uh, that's what I was saying, and I was hearing, well, Zeitler's up, you know, they might let him go, but... Uh, uh, that, that's what I was thinking compared to him or Tomlin. Let, let me ask you a question, Joe, because obviously you're a Zeitler fan, and so am I. I think all of us believe that he is a good, solid NFL guard, if not even a little bit better than that. Certainly over his career, he has been. You've really got three choices here, okay? You can keep him on the roster at his cap number of, of 14.5. Uh, you could... Get rid of him, save yourself 12 mil, and take a $2.5 million dead cap hit. Or or you could potentially give him, let's just say, a new deal, rip up his 2021 contract, okay? Give him a new deal that extends him through 2022 and 2023, which would then put him on the books until he's 33 years old. Now... You could argue he is still on the second half of the prime of his career, and he may very well have at least two more very productive seasons as an NFL starter. You could you could make that case. So much like I was talking last week about Jabril Peppers, you could redo the final year of his deal by lowering his cap number and giving him an extension, which, again, is going to involve guaranteed money, and is going to spread his cap number out over the next few years, well, we know Peppers is smack in the prime of his career. Zeitler, you could probably say, is an offensive lineman, 
is not long in the tooth at 31 years old. So you might consider that a potential option for him as well. Yeah, I, that's what I'm, I was thinking, that he'd be more important to keep than I hate to say it. If Tom Tomlinson would go, you know, if it would come, come down to them two guys, you know, uh, that, that was Well, my, my point thing. is it doesn't have to come down to them is what I'm trying to tell you. There are well, things you can I, do. I hope they can work the numbers somehow you know? there. You know. I mean, if you well, I don't want to go into hypothetical numbers, but believe me, that third option, which I don't think any of us have actually talked about before, because you know usually you don't necessarily want to redo a guy's last year and extend him because it's going to push the can down the road and it's going to tie you up some. But there are unique circumstances depending upon how you feel about the guy's future productivity as a starter, where you would may possibly consider doing that. Zeitler is a guy who I think, I think you might want to at least mull that possibility. So yeah. you could still keep him and then do the new deal with him and at the same time significantly lower his cap number. Uh, I, I hope they can do that, Paul. That sounds good. And then maybe they could use some of that money to sign Tomlinson. I don't know. So right. That's, but who knows? We'll see. So, uh, uh, and uh, as far as these wide receivers and that, I think it's going to come in the draft there, come down to if we have a choice between the wide receiver and that Pitts guy, man, that tight end. And uh, if we had that choice, he's going to be tough to, to, to pass up on, I, I really think, because with that size, 6'6", six, six, and, man, being able to jump and play like a wide receiver, um uh, I'm all out to draft him. So uh, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Joe. Appreciate the phone call. Remember, don't get caught up so much in a position when it comes to where the Giants draft. It's more of whether or not they think the value is good at that point, and also they're weighing whether or not, Paul, if they like that position or they feel that position's of need, if we wait till the second round, can we still get quality at that position? If that's part of the thought process, then that means they wouldn't necessarily say we have to take this guy with the 11th overall pick. Exactly. Lance, it comes down to this. You've heard me say at least a zillion times that pro football is a spider web or it's a table of dominoes how one thing affects everything else and very rarely is anything isolated into a bubble. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's not just the plays during the course of a game that wind up having ramifications, but it's also all of these off-season moves that literally are all tied together. You do one thing, it affects how you're going to do the other and the other and the other and the other one over there. (laughs) this is why general managers are under so much pressure and get paid so much money. It is not a fun chair to sit in. Well, and this is also why you have to see how free agency develops because not to get completely off. is going to be traded that both sides, he and the Lions, have mutually agreed to part ways. So there could be a team that acquires Matthew Stafford that was drafting high, and you would think, okay, they're going to draft a quarterback, and maybe now they decide they don't want to draft a quarterback. Maybe mm-hmm. they want to address another position of need. Or maybe a team uses a high pick to acquire Matthew Stafford. I'm just throwing out some hypotheticals here. That's why we get so caught up in the draft here on January 26th, and then by the time March 15th rolls around, things are all of a sudden very different 
than where they were at the end of January. And that can't be lost in, in terms of the process of the conversation. Let's head back to the phone lines. Chris is in New Jersey joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Chris? Uh, hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. Thanks for taking my call. Hi. Sure. Thanks hey, for making it. Uh, I'll, I'll, take, you know, I'll save any of my giant talk uh, for another call. But I just, just out of curiosity, a, a question and see what you guys think. You know, you always hear that you build your team through the draft. My question is, is it, is it more of a players' union um, uh, obstacle to, to have the draft come first and then deal with free agency? And what I mean is, is that the reason why they don't do the draft first and then fill in those pieces with free agents is because that may drive down the price of the free agents, and, and that's not what the players' union wants? Because I would think, you know, we always say uh, that the free agency will dictate the draft. When it seems like it really should be the other way around, the draft should be filling in those those uh, you know those holes and then and filling in those pieces uh, with free agency later on. Well, personally, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I think if you ask most veteran players, they don't want to learn that they're going to be cut if the draft is in March. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have a contract option or it's much easier for a team to get rid of them because they've already filled that void through the draft. So, yeah, I do think from the union perspective, that's probably a big reason why it's structured that way. I also think with respect to the salary cap restrictions, just think about this. If you once again drafted players before free agency, if teams already addressed areas of need, maybe they're saying to themselves, well, why do we have to re-sign this guy for X amount of money if we already brought in a wide receiver and then we took another wide receiver in the fifth or the sixth round? So, yeah, I think the power of the union is very content with the fact that the free agency process plays out well before the draft. Sure, sure. How do you feel about that, Paul? I mean, here's the problem. This is the way it's always been. So, as a traditionalist, I'm not so sure that I'd want to move it. But as somebody who often has to juggle the thoughts and the ideas of, well, how are we supposed to deal with this when free agency comes up first and it does pose a lot of headaches and a lot of stress, I understand why you would want to change it the other way. I, I don't know because I have a feeling if we did flop it that there would be complaints on the other side too. All right, well, thanks, guys. Appreciate you answering the question. Yeah, you got it, Chris. It's an interesting thought because when you think about it, in the NBA, the NBA has it where the draft comes first and then free agency follows. And most leagues operate like that too. But once again, in the NBA, you have less roster spots, okay, less guys that you're drafting every year. In the NFL, you know, if you have a seven-round draft – you can wind up, Paul, 10 or 11 guys you could be bringing onto your roster. The veterans are going to say to themselves, well, if we got a 53-man roster, you're bringing in 10 to 11 players? That's one-fifth of the roster that could turn over right there with respect to the draft, and then I'm out of a job. The NBA, the percentage is not going to be that high. Yeah, but here, Lance, I, I, I want to chime in here for a second, if you guys don't mind. Wouldn't sure. the veteran player, though, rather have that happen before free agency? So if they do get let go, they can then sign immediately with another team? If that happens after the draft in April, right. they're kind of left out in the lurch with no money. And on top of that, see, I like guys' idea. I, I like the idea of the of the, the the draft before free agency because you always want to draft the best guy, right? And if you have free agency second, you just go out there draft the best guy, and then if you have any holes left, then you still have free agency left after that. So since the draft to me is more important, 
I always want to do that first. And that's a fair point. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily disagree with that. I just think that, once again, with the union's perspective, I can understand some guys would say, yeah, I'd rather a team let me know they're going to get rid of me. For example, Andy Dalton. If Andy Dalton could go backwards, he probably wishes that Cincinnati got rid of him and cut ties with him much earlier than they wound up doing so that this way he could have maybe had a few more options in free agency. Now, it worked out for him. Unfortunately, Dak Prescott got hurt. But, yeah, I would think maybe some of the guys at the premier positions, especially the quarterback starting job-wise, but I think given the depth on an NFL roster, most of the veteran guys that could be added late, like a Logan Ryan, if you're that strong of a player and you know the system that well, you probably could carve out enough of a role. I think it's more of the quarterbacks get screwed, John, to your point, because there's limited starting jobs. There's only 32 starting jobs, whereas other positions where there's two corners, three corners, two safeties, I think veterans have a little bit more of a chance to at least break through when it comes to the roster. And we'll certainly continue to examine that if anybody else wants to weigh in on that as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. You can call 888-MYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. That's 888-NYG-1925. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. You can once again call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com suites for more information. You can also interact with us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. We are previewing the Senior Bowl, discussing the layout of the land with respect to the offseason. Let's head back to the lines, and we check in with Len in Columbia, Maryland. What's happening, Len? Are you there? Yeah, we're here, Len. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Paul, um, Lance is a young man, so he may not remember the feeling but I hate to let it go by without mentioning 33 years ago yesterday, Paul. I Sims know. was 22 for 25. 268 three touchdowns. Three touchdowns. Yep. A great day in the Rose Bowl. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, you talk about Phil Sims' performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was, I'm well aware. Yeah, I was. well, I knew you were aware. I didn't know whether or not you kind of had that. We were old enough to have that feeling. I know you're a young man, Lance, so... I, but yeah, I, I'm sure any Giant fan would remember it. But and I, I, you know, I got lucky. I was in the Rose Bowl that day, and it was just it was just a great day, just a great day. Um, a little bit of uh, draft talk uh, with regard to the picks, number of picks, and w- where they are. I if we sign Williams, and I, I assume we're heading in that direction, uh, we have to give up a fourth round pick. So between number 11 in the third round and number 11 in the fifth round, guessing at the number of comp picks that there will be at the end of the third and at the end of the fourth, we're talking about 75 picks. That's an excruciatingly long time, and uh, a lot of awfully good football players are going to be off the board. What do you think? the chances are of the Giants getting back in the fourth, uh, you know, mid-fourth, 
and what would they have to give up to do that? Or maybe it's just, you know, forget about it. It's just sit there and wait for the fifth round. What do you guys think? Well, you want to give up a player, or do you want to try to accumulate, or you want to try to, you know, compile some picks to move up? Yeah. What, what, what did you want to do? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure yet, but those would, be the, those would be the two options. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I want to do either one of those. I, I might just sit there and suffer through it and, and wait. Uh, I'm not sure what we could give up, Paul, uh, that would draw a fourth-round pick. Unless you trade the first round for a later first-round pick, let's say 21, 22, 23, and you can get a fourth along with that. You know, um, is it? I mean, is it even worthwhile considering? Or you? Well, or everything's we worthwhile say, hey, considering. This year we got six picks. No, every everything is worthwhile, especially with Dave Gettleman, who does like to compile picks. Look, if he gets the chance to, he'll he'll try to collect picks. And by the way, for every person out there who was so shallow enough to laugh at all the third day picks he had last season, well, how'd Tate Crowder work out? How'd Carter Coughlin work out? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And Cam, oh, don't Cam forget Brown. Cam Brown. Don't forget pick. Cam Brown. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. And that's my yeah. point, though. Okay? Yeah. Don't laugh at those third-day picks. Those picks are only as worth or as worth less as the guy who makes those selections. And last year, those selections turned out to give the Giants some uh, pretty good snaps. So don't, don't ever put it you know, past him to value those picks. Or for that matter, do something there that, you know, to try to get a, to try to get some more now to well man. if we if we if we traded down um do you think our first would bring back something around 20 and the fourth round pick all right well, the numbers that i see here unofficially because i don't know if the full full round round by round has been released by the league yet right but unofficially I see the Giants at 11 in the first round, right. at 42 overall in the second round, at 76 in the third round, okay. and at 107 in the fourth round. Okay. Now, you want to particularly, now that you have those numbers, which one did you want to move? Well, I want, I, I, well now maybe you need to correct me on this. I thought if we signed Williams, we give up a fourth-round pick. It depends. If we don't sign, if we don't sign Williams, we give up a fifth round pick. He has to now be signed before the start pick. of the. He has to be signed before the start of the league year. Correct. Yes. If he is tagged, it's still a fifth rounder. Okay. 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 So, quite frankly, what I would do, and I'm pretty sure that the Giants are awake enough to do this, tag him, and don't re-sign him until after the league year begins. Hey, good strategy. I like that. Therefore, the Jets get stuck with a fifth instead yeah. of the conditional fourth. Right, right, and we keep the 107. Correct. We, yeah, yeah, good move, good move. Hey, one, one, one more thing, and then I'll, then I'll get off. Um, I, I want to change the narrative a little bit. I, I'm, I'm still coming down from the frustration of the 6-10 season, the way it ended, and, the, you know, the 15 and 33 and so forth. But what I'm frustrated most with is the continued talk about the, you know, it's, it's become legend, the way the owners look at this, meaningful games in December. I, I, I want to change that narrative. 
I want to be playing in January. That's what I want the goal to be, rather than talking about meaningful games. In well, they did play in, in January technically this year. Well, okay, yeah, well, I'm saying, right. but you, 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 I think you get. I think you I get, get your point. I'm just saying, yeah, week yeah, seventeen yeah. was in January, okay. so you and, did and get to win. In fact, it may be. Um, it may even be later in January if we go to 17 games in a second bye. Yeah. I mean, heck, yeah. we could be no, playing on the 15th, a regular yeah. season game on the 15th of January. Um, well, that's, that's, that's to come down the road. But I, I just want to think more about getting to the playoffs than the idea of fighting for a playoff spot. I know one comes before the other, obviously, but still, man, it's time to play. It's time to play in January. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. I like, appreciate the phone call. I mean, I don't think there's any team in the NFL that doesn't have the goal of making the playoffs. I mean, whether the narrative is said publicly or it's said privately, to me, doesn't change things. I think every team goes into the season saying we want to make the playoffs. Now, whether or not that's reasonable or realistic, that's a whole other story. But if you look at the turnover rate in the National Football League and the amount of teams that make the playoffs one year and then fail to make the playoffs the following year, it's realistic for every team to be thinking, hey, we've got a shot to get into the playoff conversation. And I'll bring up the numbers because I've been monitoring this every single season during the Patriots dynasty just to show you how impressive it was for New England's run. This season, Seven new teams made the playoffs. Now, granted, they added two more playoff spots, Paul, okay? Mm -hmm. But even if you go back over the previous four years, It's been like an average of five, right? Well, correct. You had at least five. 2016, you had seven new teams. 2017, eight new playoff teams. 2018, seven. And then 2019, five. So that was at under the five. old structure. Yeah, sure. So I don't want to hear that just because they added two playoff spots this year was the reason why the numbers jumped. Well, you had more new playoff teams in 2017 with only 12 spots compared to the 14 this year. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely doable. And I'm not just talking about the Giants, by the way. I'm just talking about league-wide. This is why every team should feel, hey, we have a shot because the turnover rate is unlike anything else. Well, I'm not going to give you my trademark phrase again, Lance, but you know that's why it is. Oh, I know your trademark phrase. You, and uh, yeah. I'm not going there. I'm not going to that's repeat fine. it again, yeah, but that's exactly it. why it is. Well, I, I just think that you know? the NFL, and this to me is a positive. I know you don't look at it as a negative. Even Urban Meyer, in his introductory presser when he became the Jaguars head coach, he said the NFL is designed so that everybody pretty much finishes at 500. And there is some validity to that. But that's what makes the NFL so great, I would argue. Because there is no runaway team, or you can't just assume you win 14 games one year, you're coming back, and you're starting at 14 all over again. I think that's the beauty of the NFL. Everybody has a legitimate chance. So that's why, just going back to the last caller, I don't think it needs to be said publicly a team hopes to make the playoffs. I think if you look at the numbers and the trends, you should think that way. Because it's very difficult to duplicate success. That's why, Paul, you and I have had conversations. I always say... I hate when people start to say, oh, well, the way the team played in December is an indication of what's going to happen in September. No, I would argue it's not. I mean, it, you shouldn't feel bad about if your team finishes one season strongly, but it's more about the individual players and their progress than the team as a whole because yes. just because you won three straight games to close out December does not mean you're going to win now the first two games of the following season in September. The NFL just doesn't work like that. The player arc is more important than the yeah. team arc in that case. 100%. Yeah.
Giants I fans add, get a New York Giants check account. Go ahead, Paul. You yeah, can I, add something? I would add one, one other thing to, to the, uh, to the, to the uh, remark about that, uh, Lance, and that is this. You know, you talk about the, the makeup of these teams and they're, the way they finish because of free agency and because of the cap and obviously now because of the pandemic. Look, if you thought you there were a lot of teams that had turnover this past year, we talked about the Giants had 27 new players on their roster opening day that they didn't have the year before. Well, after what happens with the cap and, 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 and the opt-outs and everything else, what do you think it's going to be around the league this year? Probably just as much. There's going to be a ton of turnover. And, in fact, even at the quarterback position, um, Adam Schefter was on ESPN yesterday. And he said he believes that there'll be 18 starting quarterbacks around the league that are going to change uniforms during this offseason. I'm assuming he's taking the draft into consideration. Yes. Yeah, through draft pick slash free agency. He's thinking that 18, more than half of the teams in the league, are going to have new starting quarterbacks in 2021. I mean, you know, it's like somebody just turned over the wheelbarrow the way it's happening right now. It's insane. Yeah. So how can anybody predict or, or for that matter, rule themselves out unless you're really at the bottom of the barrel? And, you know, I don't want to be picking on anybody else in the Garden State, but there is a team in the Garden State that really is on the bottom of the barrel. Uh, unless well, there's you, a reason you, you know, why they have them. the number two overall pick. So, you know, I mean, and, I and, think and, that's and, you know, maybe the Bengals. I, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows how much better they can get in a year. But but there are very few teams that can stand here today and kind of eliminate themselves from from being a team that could at least try to sniff an opportunity at being competitive. Yeah, and that's why it goes back to whether the narrative is made publicly or not. Just look at the stats, look at the numbers, look at the facts. It shows that you realistically have a shot because the seven or eight teams that are in the mix one year, you can't assume that they're all coming back and are going to be in contention and take their rightful place. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. And the New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's presented by New York Lottery, the new X-Series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Paul, did you want to add something else? Yeah, Lance, one other thing, and this goes back to your statement that no team should count itself out of the playoff conversation, certainly this early in the offseason. But think of it this way, right? We just saw championship weekend, and three of those four teams on Sunday did not play championship-caliber football, okay? I think it's fair to say the Chiefs played what I consider high-quality postseason football on Sunday. I don't believe the Buccaneers played that well. I don't believe the Packers played that well, and I certainly don't believe the Bills played that well. We could also argue that they weren't coached that well either. I don't, I don't think that the, the Packers or the Bills were very well coached on Sunday. But I don't think three of the four teams played that well. Well, I know Len a lot of times likes to say, well, look at your team and match them up. Look, if the Giants were playing Sunday against 
those four teams that were playing Sunday, they'd have given them a hell of a fight. Look what they did to the Buccaneers, you know, just two and a half months ago. Had they been playing the Buccaneers on Sunday, you're going to tell me the Giants couldn't have been competitive and couldn't have beaten them? Well, if Tom Brady turns the ball over three times like he did, I would say most teams like their chances. Well, he didn't have to turn the ball over three times, and the Giants almost beat him on a primetime game without well, those but, three turnovers. But in, fa- in fairness, Paul, the, both teams have come a long way since. Okay, well, but, so but, but you know, I'm not going to read too point. much into a Monday night game in the middle of the season. The quality of football in those championship games on Sunday was not very good. It really wasn't. Well, but that goes back to our conversation about also if their turnover rate is so high – then also the level of disparity between the teams is not that wide, I would argue. Which is why there are a bunch of teams right now in the National Football League who would have been in that next level of records that did not make the playoffs who got to be saying to themselves, you know what, we're not very far from being a playoff caliber team because look at that stuff that Jay just put on tape this past weekend. It wasn't that good. It really wasn't. Well, I even brought this up on yesterday's show. You look at the Packers. They played a great game against the Rams front a week ago, right? The offensive line handled its business. Aaron Rodgers was well protected. And then that same offensive line goes against a different front in Tampa Bay. And they had a rough time. Rodgers was sacked five times. So that also can easily flip the outlook of a team if the level of execution in the span of two weeks is completely different, and that's exactly what happened to Green Bay. I mean, I don't think the Packers became a bad team in the span of a week. I think the level of execution was on the opposite end of the spectrum. That's what I would argue. And that's how, all of a sudden, an unbelievable team looks average. There's no question that both the Packers and Bills, who lost this weekend, were not well coached on Sunday and also did not play well. I would not argue that at all. But the point is that... These, quote, great teams or super teams or playoff teams, use whatever adjective you want. These are the teams that are still alive. They were in the NFL's Final Four. They were not a whole lot better than a bunch of other teams in this league, including some teams that did not make the playoffs. My goodness, just go back a week ago when the Packers beat the Rams. You honestly going to sit there and tell me that the Giants could not have beaten the Rams a week ago last Sunday? Heck, they almost beat them out in L.A. earlier in the year. Wait, Paul, Paul, hold on a second. I have to jump in here for a second. How did the Giants do against the Ravens late in the year? They got whacked by a team that had a much better matchup against them. How did the Bills do against the Ravens? The Bills beat the Ravens. How did the Giants do against the Browns? The Giants lost to the Browns. What planet are you living on? How the Giants? Do, how the Chiefs do against the Browns? The Chiefs advanced by well, beating. Hey, well, that's my point. And and those games that the I Giants lost to those good teams down the stretch weren't that close. So I think to say that they're minuscule moments away from those teams, I, I'm not sure if that's fair. I'm not sure. No, I, I, what I'm saying is, there's no reason for for teams who just missed the playoffs by a game or two games, any game, any team that won at least six games this year, I believe can say to themselves, 
we are not that far away from being competitive with the teams that have been in the playoffs this month. Being a playoff I team, sure, but I, I don't fair. think I don't think you can say that they're super that, that that they're close to being Super Bowl contenders. No, no, I'm not saying contenders. What I'm saying is being okay. a playoff team. I got you. That's fair. That's fair. I got you. I got you. I'm saying being a playoff team. And furthermore, furthermore, what I'm saying and what I've always said is that matchups make the fights. And and we know that's the deal. It's not about which team is necessarily even better. It's about how can you compete against a team that matches up against you in a certain way. No, that, 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 and that's, that's absolutely even more fair. important that's than fair. the overall quality of the roster. No, that's fair. Well, and that's so, why I go back to my Green Bay point. I think the Packers' offensive line matched up better with the Rams' defensive front. It also helped that Aaron Donald was banged up. And then you saw Todd Bowles scheme accordingly and try to get those tackles on an island one-on-one, and the Bucks won those battles time and time again. So that's not necessarily, once again, just the overall team. That's just schematics. And the coaches putting their players in the right position to take advantage of the weaknesses on some of the playoff teams. And we saw that firsthand based on the difference between the divisional round and the conference championship. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 973-667-1960. And Dave is in Cranford. What's happening, Dave? Lance, Paul, it's great to talk to you guys. Um, Hi. Real quick question. Uh, Paul, it's great to talk to you. Just real quick question. Um, it, it's interesting as I'm, I'm looking at the uh, kind of draft and, and, and looking at, you know, kind of, where we're going to focus next year, you know, this year in terms of roster building. I mean, you you really look at going into last year and the amount of resources that were put into the defense, both free agency, I kind of count Leonard Williams in that a little bit, um, coming in halfway through the season, but, but also in terms of uh, the draft, and, you know, the positive impact it had, you know, on, on the defense in terms of the, you know, the significant jump that they made on that. And I, and I see the same thing potentially on the offense. But ironically, I, I really wonder if um, I really think based on, on you know, the, at least some initial views of the first 10 picks in the draft. You see a lot of quarterbacks, obviously. You see a lot of uh, receivers, maybe as many as three or four, going in in the top ten potentially. I really think the Giants may have a chance to pick the number one cornerback um, coming out of college, depending on how how they look at that. Obviously, and that always changes. Yeah. And 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 part of me looks at that, and 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 part of me who wants to see an offensive playmaker and and all those types of things, which I do. Man, I, I I look at it and say, man, it, it might be a hard pick for them to 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 look the other way, um, because if if all of a sudden you could put a cornerback who's good in man coverage on the other side of Bradbury, the things that that secondary uh, potentially could do and would need to do, um, I really think it could have a major impact on that defense. No argument here. Look, the other day I, I wrote on Twitter. If we assume that the Giants' top shelf needs are wide receiver one, edge rusher one, and cornerback two, it seems to me from the people that I've talked to over this month, and again, I I don't start really getting into my film work and everything on these guys until after the Senior Bowl week, but the preliminary conversations are that in the first ten picks of this draft, you'll have at least three quarterbacks – 
at least three wide receivers, the offensive tackle out of Oregon, and in all likelihood, uh, Pitts, the tight end. Okay? So those are eight. In all likelihood, those will be eight of the first ten picks in whatever order they are taken, which means there is a real chance that the Giants could have, if they value player X at the 11th spot, he could be the top edge rusher on their board or he could be the top corner on their board. That's how I handicap this right now. Yeah, well, it's very becomes, similar to Xavier McKinney, by the way, being considered yep. the number one safety in last year's draft. Right. And the Giants getting him high in the second round. Yeah. So, oh, you know, again, it's 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 all a roulette wheel here. Yeah. But the, the, the point is, for example, if you believe that Sertan, you know, out of Alabama is the top corner, there's a real shot he's going to be there at 11. And I don't think people would necessarily poo-poo the value there either. Now, Rousseau, who by some stretches of the imagination yep. is the number one edge rusher in this draft, but he's only yep. played one year at Miami and then opted out, he's a higher-risk kind of player. But yep. could you could you see him being on the board at 11? I absolutely could see him being there. But now that requires a leap of faith because he only played one year with the Hurricanes. See, I look at the bigger point, Dave, is the fact that the Giants are not in a position to say the defense is perfectly fine, so the focus should be on offense with the first-round pick. The defense, depending on how free agency plays out, could still have some voids, and to your point, the secondary could use some help at cornerback. Now, it's also going to be interesting to see certain guys who may return who have opted out too. You know, you have to at least take that into consideration. Those guys technically are still part of the roster. But, yeah, I don't look at the defense as a finished product, and I guarantee you Patrick Graham doesn't, where he's going to tell the Giants – scouting department and Dave Gettleman, oh, yeah, focus on the offense with the 11th overall pick. Don't worry, we'll be okay, you know, settling on the late-round picks. No, if the Giants feel there's a defensive player that could come in in the first round and impact that roster, you take them and you don't ask any questions, period. You know, the other problem here with the offensive thing is if you believe that Chase, Smith, and Waddle are going to be gone in the top 10, which a lot of folks do believe, there doesn't appear to be another receiver that would fall in the value at 11. It yep. looks like the next receiver coming off the board is going to be somewhere in the bottom 10 of the first round in terms of value. Right. So, you know, yeah, I, I would I, hate to see the Giants force feed a receiver at 11 if they don't have a value there at 11. I totally agree, Paul. I, I guess I would just leave you with this, and that, and that is, you know, as, as much as, you know, but adding another corner, when you think about the secondary that's coming back in terms of the safeties and the corners. I mean, you know, depending on how you want to talk about Julian Love or someone like Holmes, I mean, you're, you know, you're really bringing back the core of that secondary to the tune of uh, probably five, six guys, which is really helpful. And the addition of one more into that, that could, you know, the impact that, that, then has on your pass rush and has on other things. I think a lot of Leonard Williams this year was that extra half second that got him home. And I think a lot of that was some, some basic coverage sacks because I think the secondary played, you know, in, in a mainly in a zone scheme, played very well. I think you add man into their arsenal as a, as a second weapon. 
I think it takes the defense to another level. So, anyway, just saying that. You guys are the best. Talk to you soon. Hi, Dave. Appreciate the phone call. The other thing about the secondary point is I don't look at it so much, Paul, as, well, the core is coming back. I also look at it as, okay, the core may be coming back. Can you predict how injury is going to play out? Do you know that that core is going to be available for all 16 games? Do you know what you're getting out of Sam Beal if he returns who opted out? My point is, did anyone anticipate Xavier McKinney missing the bulk of the season and he got hurt late in training camp? So the, even if you feel good about your core, you still can say to yourself, we add another corner or another safety. If that value matches up with where we're selecting, then take the player because at least you know you're getting more depth at a position that in the blink of an eye, you may have now two guys available one week when you never anticipated. Well, let's put it this way, Lance. If, in fact, those three areas of primary need remain the three areas of primary need after free agency and you're looking at receiver and edge and and corner, I would say the Giants probably have the best need-value match at corner compared to the other two spots. You know, because Farley or Sertan could be there at 11, and you could argue that there is strong value to meet need. I think the, the, the top edge rusher, if you think that Rousseau is the top guy, I think there's a lot of, a lot of risk involved there. And, and I certainly... You know, again, according to what the conversations have been, I don't see the fourth wide receiver in this draft being taken as high as 11. I think that fourth receiver, whoever he turns out to be, will be taken a lot lower than 11. Well, I think the, the value is not perceived to be there. I think the depth at receiver is just as good as it was last season. So I think there could be a team that may patiently wait. They could get a guy late in the first round, and who knows, maybe even early in the second round. And I would argue the depth at wide receiver has been pretty strong for the last three drafts sure. if you go back and look. Sure. I, I, I wouldn't be at all supposed Remember when the Giants got Slayton in the fifth round? I mean, I, I would have no problem if the Giants did not – uh, value anybody else really high after the top three, and they were gone. I'd have no problem with them taking a guy in the second or third round. I'd have no problem with that at all in terms of addressing the receiver position. Again, not knowing what they'll do in free agency. See, I wonder through the lens of the Giants front office as well as other teams, if a player did not play in 2020, and granted, most teams didn't play nearly as many games as they were anticipating, but are you a little bit concerned that they pretty much have been removed from football, competitive football, I guess is what I'm saying, Paul, for a year, mm -hmm. and that's one less year that you would have a film similar to, I, I don't want to get too off topic, but the conversations we were having around the quarterbacks two years ago, and Dwayne Haskins was a starter for one year, and we brought that up a lot. Well, some of these other quarterbacks, you may not be as ultra excited about them, but the bottom line is you have them under center for multiple seasons, well, whereas Lance. another guy you only have for one. I'd be a little concerned about that. You absolutely have to be. Look, you talk about a guy like Rousseau. Let's pull him out of the weeds again. This is a guy who played one year for the Hurricanes. Yeah, he had a really terrific year as a pass rusher, but that's one year. So how green is he if you draft him and bring him into training camp and he's played one college season after opting out? You know how far behind he's going to be when he steps onto the field at training camp for you? Sure. Especially considering that this offseason, 
according to the Players Association, is going to probably mirror what we saw in 2020. How soon are you going to get production out of that kid? Let's head back to the phone lines here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Mark is in Chicago. What's happening, Mark? Yeah, I got about five inches of snow outside. So uh, hey, we're having a good time out here. Anyway. Well, we can resemble that. We're getting snow in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area as well. So. Better not be five. Yeah. <laughs> yes, hopefully not. By the way, I wanted to uh, chime in on the Evan Ingram debate. Um, you know, guys, my, in my opinion, he's a one-man momentum killer. Uh, yeah, I, I can't even count the number of times where he's not made the play that he should or made a bad play, and it's just turned the momentum of the game around. And I sort of try to equate it to, like in baseball, wins above replacement. And I know they don't have that stat, but I can only think of one game and one play where he actually did the opposite and turned the momentum of the game. And that was the first play of the second half down in Tampa in 2019 where he went 80-something yards for a touchdown. I mean, this is his fourth year. We have not seen him break out. You look at somebody like Robert Tanyan on the Packers. Now, granted, his situation is different with the talent on the team. But out in Chicago, we see almost as many Packer games as we do Bears games. And the guy had his breakout year in his third year. And if we could get half of that out of our tight end of what Tanyan did this year in terms of touchdowns, I think that would be great and we're not even close. So, in my opinion, sometimes you do addition by subtraction. And if we could get a deal, and maybe we get that fourth-round draft pick that Len was talking about, and we can take that money that we save from him and apply it to Tomlinson and Leonard Williams and preserve that defensive front. And you remember what Logan Ryan said, that it's because of those guys we can play the type of defense that we have. I say it's worth doing it. And, you know, we finally have got the defense sort of turned around. Why would we want to let those guys go and then have to rebuild the front? I, it just boggles my mind on this guy. So I say if we can get dump the salaries, sign the guys that we want to preserve on the defensive line and maybe get a fourth-round pick, I say let's go for it. Well, there would have to be number one interest in him in order for that to be done, especially during a time period where teams know they're going to enter free agency and they're going to have the draft if they want to help themselves at the tight end position. So you have to take that into consideration. Number two, I would argue he was having a breakout year in 2019 and then he got hurt, Mark. I mean, you saw him breaking out. He had a really good, strong start to the season. Unfortunately, the injury bug struck again. So, I mean, you were seeing flashes. You look at his numbers from 19. He had 44 receptions, 467 yards, and three touchdowns in just eight games. He was on pace to set career highs in all three of those categories had he not gotten hurt. Yeah. Just unfortunately, the injuries got in his way. Yeah. You know, remember, the other part to your your equation is if you do decide that you're not going to go with him moving forward, that's another hole now you have to fill. Well, you know, I sort of equate Caden Smith. No, 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 no. Caden Smith is not that guy. Well, he's not. You know Trust what? He me, he's not that guy. He's not a tight end one. He was the guy. He's not a. He's not a tight end one over sixteen games. He's just not. Okay. Well, I mean, I I think preserving the defense is more important than. Saying, okay, well, we're going to go one more year hoping this guy breaks well, out. Well, but you could preserve I, I, the defense and you could keep Evan Ingram. It's not like you have to get rid of Evan to preserve yeah. the defense. 
I understand that, but I think you know, getting a draft pick from him, if we could get like a fourth rounder, I think that would that would be worth doing that deal, in my opinion. So, I have one other question about the tight end position, uh, and that's Levine Torlolo. And it's not because I thought he would get four touchdowns in bowl predictions, but does this guy have cement shoes or does he have hands of stone? You know, you have to say you can't teach speed. Well, you can't teach height, and this guy's six eight. And you know, when Judge said, "I'm going to." do what people can do, you know, figure out what they can do. Why aren't they putting this guy in the end zone and throwing him high passes in the back of the end zone? I, 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 it sort of boggles my mind. Is there something about his ability that, that they just don't put him out on routes? Well, but now, Mark, in, in fairness, though, here. Mark, and we'll let you go on that point and appreciate the phone call, it's one thing to look at a guy's height and just assume the production, and then it's another thing, Paul, to look at the track record of Levine Toilolo. Toilolo's been in the league since 2013. He's not a rookie who just came out of nowhere. He has never had more than two touchdowns in his entire career. Mm-hmm. Levine Toilolo has played for great offensive minds like Kyle Shanahan, who was the offensive coordinator of the Falcons. So, you know, you're asking and expecting somebody to all of a sudden be utilized in a way that he hasn't proven that it can be utilized. On top of that, the Falcons used this guy at right tackle in a game where their right tackle went down. So now you want a player that is capable of filling in at right tackle to all of a sudden start running routes and becoming this big end zone target. I mean, I think you've got to be realistic in terms of what a player has done over the course of his career. And now in year eight or nine we're talking about, you're expecting him to do things that he's never done before. I think that's a bit ridiculous. In short, he's known as a blocking tight end for a reason. And, And I hate to say this, but over the course of his NFL career, he has been known to have troubles holding on to the ball. He, he is not known to have soft hands and a guy who you can count on to make a bunch of catches. He was brought to the Giants to be what he was supposed to be, and that is a blocking tight end. And that was my point exactly. So now you're expecting him to spread his wings in areas, especially late in his career, that he just has not shown that he could do. I think you got to, once again, keep expectations in check a little bit. All right, that is going to do it for us here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We'll be up and running again on Wednesday with a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll continue to cover the Senior Bowl the remainder of the week as new developments come out of practices over the coming days. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. We're out. Have a good one.